So uh, the text uh, itself, the book of Judges, um, there's not, it do, in, within itself doesn't tell us who wrote the book, but the, uh, the tradition, Jewish tradition says that Samuel wrote it, the first prophet, also the last judge that you'll get to uh, later on in the book. Um, it says in chapter 17 of the book, it quotes, in those days. So the person who was writing it was saying, back in the day, in those days. So that's why they attribute it to Samuel. Uh, there's also other verses in uh, chapter 1 in verse 21. He says, you know, back when the Jebusites dwelled in Jerusalem. The Jebusites were in there. So he's, he's referring back to a time. Um, and then again, like I mentioned, Second Samuel 5, 6 through 7. The book right before Judges is Joshua, right? And we see this amazing, huge contrast between Joshua and Judges. And this contrast is a great learning tool for us, uh, for us to study. And we see things uh, in contrast. We could see things like, like good versus evil, you know, the real simple things. Um, or we could see in the book of Joshua, their faith in God. It gave them victory through the battles. In the book of Joshua, it's their obedience to God. It gives them victory. It's the same for us. Our faith in God is going to give us victory. Our obedience to God is going to give us victory. Right? But in Zechariah 4, 6, he says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Right? Says the Lord. So he wants to point out that it's not about the power you have. It said that uh, this book can be called the book of defeats. And we're going to see that. We're going to see uh, disbelief. We're going to see disobedience. We're going to see compromise. We're going to see permissiveness. Hey, it sounds like us, huh? Wow. So here's some more contrasts for Joshua to Judges, just in those two books alone. The book of Joshua, it covers roughly about 30 years of time. And the book of Judges covers roughly about 300 years. The book of Joshua characterizes the wisdom of obedience. And as a result, a good life. Versus judges, the consequences of having to learn the hard way, which is almost always the long way. Joshua, 30 years, judges, 300 years of having to learn the long way. The book covers uh, 13 judges, or you could say 15 if you include Eli the priest and Samuel, who's the first prophet, and we could say is the last judge. Um, they're continued in the next book, First Sex Samuel, um, after, after Ruth. So if Joshua was around the same age as Caleb, and if you remember Caleb and Joshua, they were partners, right, when they were serving under Moses. When they spied out the land together 
at the direction of Moses, being sent out from Kadesh Barnea. Caleb says he was around 40. So if, we, if they're about the same age and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, that makes the two of them around 80 years old. And so Joshua leads the people for roughly about 30 years, maybe 40. So before we read into the text, let's, let's bring to our attention our society today and our mindset, which is very similar to theirs. Disobedience, permissiveness, compromise. That's why these books are left for our example. So with the absence of leadership now, because the first chapter begins with the death of Joshua, Israel becomes right away permissive. And this mindset, it kind of takes over throughout the land of Israel. And if you will, it's kind of an existentialism type of mindset. When somebody or when society tries to impose or demand their belief on you, their values on you, their rules on you, and they demand that you be faithful and to obey them, the existentialist believes that it destroys their individual humanism. Right? It takes away from the person that they are. This is what psychology kind of teaches us. Be your own person. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Don't let religion tell you what to do. People feel they have that power for desire. And so they don't want to be dehumanized or reduced to being an object of religious dictation. Existentialism then stresses that a person's judgment is the determining factor for what it is to be believed. So what I say goes because I am who I am and I'm human and I'm my own person. And these kind of world values are being fed into our minds every day. So before we begin to judge the judges, we have to look in a mirror and see for ourselves. We're not beyond any level of these sins that we're going to see here. Because we are all sinners. Right? Amen. Judges 1, 1. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Verse 2, the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered the land into his hand. I like how he said delivered, past tense. Verse 3, so Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. And did God tell them to bring uh, to Simeon along? No. Why did he ask him? There didn't seem to be anything wrong with doing this um, since there was no punishment for it, if you go on reading. But um, I would gather that it probably would have been better for Judah just to do what God said. 
as the Lord had said. He already gave it to him. He delivered the land into his hand. But you see already, in the very first verse, some disbelief right there. And all it takes is just a little bit. You know what? I, don't, I really don't think I could do it. I'm going to go get my brother. He'll come, he'll come with me. Get that tribe. Let's all go together. And God said, no, I want you to do it. And that's something that relates to me. You know, when I started uh, serving in ministry, I was letting a lot of people make decisions for me. I wasn't sure I wanted to be there anyway. I was just getting started, you know. And a lot of people were always chiming in. You got to do it. You should do it like this. You should do this. You should do that. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And after several years, it was, it was the Lord pointing it out to me. He said, no, I, I didn't ask that person to lead that ministry I put you in. I asked you to lead that ministry that I put you in, not him. Why are you obeying him? I want you to obey me. And so God calls us to various ministries. He calls us to do certain things. And uh, sometimes we just let others take care of it. When you know God has called you to do it. Now we don't see any any uh, um, consequences for this in the immediate future. Maybe we'll see some later. Um, but I would imagine it would have been a lot better. It's always better to obey. To do exactly what God has said. We start thinking that we know better. Because... The outcome would be better in my own mind. And we could start making adjustments to what God told us to do. And then we end up missing the mark altogether. We could miss the blessings that the Lord may have for us. And maybe years ago, I would have been a pastor a long time ago. I remember years ago, a friend of mine saying, hey, when are you going to be a pastor? And it didn't just happen once. And I was like, no way. No way, ever, no way. But I didn't want to listen. And who knows the blessings that I could have had years before that I missed out on now as a result of that. Denying the call. Running from it. Like Jonah. Verse 4, Then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. 10,000 men. That's, that's a lot of people. Verse 5. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek and, found, and fought against him. And they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. I think that's interesting. Uh, his name is Bezek. And he named a town after himself. Adonai Bezek. All right. <clears throat> You see a lot of that with the Canaanites. In verse 6, Then Adonai Bezek fled. Alright, so he, all these 10,000 men died. He went running. And they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Ouch. Well, wait a minute. Verse 7, And Adonai Bezek, he said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table, as I have done. So God has repaid me. Then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. 
This pagan king knew God was paying him back. Now that was a pretty cruel thing. He, he conquered some people and he said, these kings, I had them at my table collecting crumbs and I cut off their thumbs and their toes. Obviously the children of Israel knew about this guy. He had, he had quite a reputation with thumbs and toes and they were going to do what, what uh, he did to them. But take note here, did God tell them to do that? No. God didn't tell them to cut off this guy's thumbs and toes. Now maybe there was some judgment upon this man here. But God said destroy them. He delivered them into his hands. All they had to do was kill him. But they wanted some revenge. They wanted something else. They, they were almost practicing a little bit of what he was doing. And so... They're practicing pagan practices. You know, should they have done that? No. They should have just did what God said. The king of the Canaanites and the Perizzites, Adonai Bezek, he knew that this was the Lord's judgment on him. Israel's already participating in pagan practices. Just in their um, permissiveness, their... Uh, compromise do do we do things just because the world does it <laughs> yes drinking drugs adultery maybe tattoos hey the world's doing it it must be okay to do it first peter 2 9 says but you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness, right? Out of the world, into his marvelous light. And then in verse 10, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God. You, we, people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Awesome. We now have that mercy. And he has called us out to be his holy nation, his special people. So should we be practicing the things of the world? No. No, we should not. And already there's been some compromise practicing what the world does. We're here with the children of Israel. Let's go to verse 8. Now the children of Judah, they fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. Verse 9, and afterward the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains in the south and in the lowland. Then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kerjath Arba. And they killed Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai. And we'll go over that in a second. Uh, I thought it was interesting that, the, that Judah is fighting against Jerusalem. But don't get confused uh, because Jerusalem is just a location right there. The Canaanites were living there. They had that whole territory. 
So they're just talking about the territory, that area where the Canaanites lived in Jerusalem. So they went in, they, they took it out. It was kind of a different city at that time. Now, I want to point out Kirjath Arba. Kirjath means city. And here we have somebody, again, naming himself after a city, this person named Arba. Kirjath Arba. And this is important for us because he was, it was a name of the descendant of Anak, or he was an Anakim, who was a giant. Right? Joshua 14, 15 says, Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. He was quite a warrior, and he was a giant. And these three men, they're named, Sheshai, Ehiman, and Tal- Talmai. We find a little bit about them, too, in Numbers, chapter 13, when Moses sent them out to spy, the la- spy out the land in Canaan. Remember, and the men uh, brought back a bad report, except for Joshua and Caleb. The bad report was because of these three guys. Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai. They were the sons of Anak, who was a giant. And remember what they said? In Numbers 13.33, they said, There were giants in the land. We were like grasshoppers in their sight, they said. They didn't want to go in there. That was the bad report. They said, we can't take that land. There's giants over there. There's these three guys that live there. They're giants and they're the sons of this giant warrior guy. There was also a little something I found out about this area of, um, of this site. Archaeological note here. There was iron in Palestine, and that's what kind of referred to this area here. The Bible states that iron in possession of the Canaanites and the Philistines, which could be the reason why Israel could not drive them out or why they were afraid to drive them out, right? Because here they are, they go into these mountains near Jerusalem, and these people, the Canaanites, have found iron. And they started making iron weapons. And the children of Israel have sticks. You know, they have rocks, they have spears, they have arrows. They don't have iron. And these these people have chariots and they're giants and they have iron. That's it's pretty intimidating. So, anyway, let's get back here. That was forty years ago when they went in there and they saw these people. And here we are, come back again. And here they are. These men are still there. So finally, that's why it's noted here. Finally, they're killed. They get rid of them. All right, verse 11. From there, they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kurjath Sefer. And uh, I... It's believed that Sefer meant um, um, scrolls or books, writings. Um, so it could be city of writings or there was a main library there. We're sure. Uh, then Caleb said in verse 12, Whoever attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give my daughter Aksah as a wife. Now this was important to Caleb. See, Caleb is still here. 
even though Joshua has died and he's gone, his buddy Caleb is still there. And it meant something for him because here this town just south of Kerjath Arbor, or Arbor, Arba, sorry, it's all right in that same area. So he, he wants somebody to take it to. Who's going to be the brave one to take it? So he offers up some incentive. His daughter. Now, she must be very beautiful because here's an incentive for men. And there's nothing like a woman to give a man some incentive. Is that right? <laughs> right? And who picks it up? Who does it? Verse 13. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, so this is Caleb's nephew. Um, he took it. He took the city. So he gave him his daughter, Aksa, as wife. It's, a, it's an ugly name, but I'm sure she was beautiful. Aksa. <clears throat> now, verse 14. Now, it happened... When she came to him, that she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? Verse 15, he says, So she said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. This is his daughter. And she has the boldness. She didn't wait for her husband to jump in and let's get, let's get some springs of water here. She just jumped off her donkey and she ran over and said, you know, please give me a blessing. So, you know, it kind of runs in the family here. Caleb is very bold and he comes from an important family. And so she's the same way. And we'll learn more about Othniel in a little bit. Well, the next chapters. Verse 16. Now the children of Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, you remember him? He went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad, and they went and dwelt among the people. You remember Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. Remember, he's the one who told Moses, why are you doing all the judgments yourself? You need to be organized here and set up some, some priests to take care of this stuff for you, you know, to some judge, judges and stuff. And so to hear the certain cases, because Moses was like up all night doing all this stuff. So Moses, with Jethro, with the Kenite people, the children of Kenite, they're all still there. Still traveling with the children of Israel. But here is where uh, the children of Judah went to the wilderness. And so they went with them. They wanted to be with them. Verse 17. And Judah went with his brother, Simeon, again. And they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath. 
and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Also Judah took Gaza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory, verse 19. So the Lord was with Judah. See, they're, they're doing it like God had said. Go in and utterly destroy them. They're doing it. So the Lord was with Judah. And they drove out the mountaineers, those in the mountains. But they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowlands because they had chariots of iron. So once again, the iron weapons, intimidating, very intimidating. Now, did God say, you know, you better not mess with the iron people because, uh, no, God can take care of them. God was going to lead them. He said it already in past tense. I delivered it. Delivered them into, into your hands. Just go. You know, God is guiding. God is going to be providing. But when your eyes see something that, oh, I can't do that. You know, you think, well, wait a minute. You can't do it. Yes, no, you can't. But God can do it. God is going to take care of it. But they kind of forgot about that. The chariots of iron um, it, it kind of helped along with forgetting about what God said. And they gave, verse 20, and they gave Hebron to Caleb as Moses had said, and they said that earlier, like it's in Numbers. Um, then he expelled from there the three sons of Anak. And we, we already talked about them. Those guys are gone. Verse 21, But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. See, they already went into Jerusalem. Remember, that's where they, 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 the king, uh, Bezek, died. He died there. So they're there, but um, they didn't drive them out, the Jebusites. They killed Canaanites there. They didn't drive out the Jebusites. They were also there, inhabited the Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. In verse 22, And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. So the house of Joseph, they sent spies, men, to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. Verse 24. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, Please, show us the entrance to the city, and we will show you mercy. Now, did God tell him to do that? Again, no. Verse 25. So, he showed them the entrance to the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go. Right? They kept their word. They let him go. They showed mercy on him. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a city, and called its name Luz, which is its name to this day. Now, I looked at the word Luz. It means almond, like an almond tree. And this may be a town named after its almond trees. 
which the Hittites also occupied. And this also became a royal Canaanite city located near Bethel. And on another note, familiar with the Hittites was someone called Uriah the Hittite who was killed by David and later married with his wife Bathsheba in 2 Samuel. That's just a little note there. See, I don't know if you begin to see some of this stuff just really coming together in the Old Testament. Some of this stuff isn't always chronological. Some of it refers back, like in verse 20. He refers again about the expelling of the three sons of Anak, which we already covered earlier in the chapter. But they're referring to these things to remind us of all these places and all these names. And as you begin to study the Old Testament and these names come up, you can say, oh, oh yes, that's right. The Hittites, Hittites, uh, Uriah was a Hittite. Wow. I'm not sure what that means yet, but just a little note right there for that. Now, starting in verse 27, we have record of the compromised conquests. It's like going in to do a job halfway that the children of Israel did. And it was worth noting for the writer to write this down that, yes, they did what God said, but only really halfway. Judges chapter 1, verse 27 says, However, Manasseh, did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages, or Te'anak and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, for the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. Now, what does that mean? Uh, well, they were, gonna, they were fighting them. Well, these guys, they're really determined to stay here. You know, I'm kind of tired. I don't want to fight anymore. <laughs> now, maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. They've been fighting with Joshua on this conquest for years and years. Joshua dies and they must go on. And God have left these conquests for them while Joshua is now gone to test them. Are you going to trust in me? Are you going to rely on me? You, you can't follow Joshua anymore. This is a test. And God could have made sure that Joshua conquered all these people before he left. It would have been nothing for God to give Joshua new strength and, and vigor and like a young man. But he said his time is up. Now it's time to test you guys. And same for us. You know, we learn, we, we're born again, we have a new life, and then we're on our own. You're out there at work, you're in the car by yourself, you're on your own and you're being tested. These things are here for you to conquer, right? The temptations are there. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. 
And God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, He's going to provide the way of escape also that you may endure it. He wants you to go through it. He wants the children of Israel to go through this. He wants them to conquer. And He gives them opportunity to do it. He said, I delivered them, past tense, into your hands. You're going to conquer. You're going to be victorious. Go do it. And they turn around and say, ooh, no, there's, they got iron arrows. They're really big. No. Wow. And wasn't it the servant of Elisha? He said, we're all going we're gonna to die. They're surrounding us. And Elisha turns to the Lord and says, open his eyes so he could see that you're out there. And right? And, and he opens the servant's eyes and he sees angels upon angels or angels surrounding the enemy. Amazing. And we forget that. It's like, wait a minute. God has already said, you are victorious. So, verse 28, And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. So, the Lord told them to destroy them, but they didn't. God didn't tell them to turn them into slaves. He didn't tell them, let's put them to work for us, we'll make some money, uh, under tribute. You know, it's like, well, you know what? I'm tired of all this killing. and Let's just let them do, be our gardeners or something. Drive us around in chariots. We can live a good life and, and have, have mercy on them. God said, no. You need to destroy them. He said to them in De- Deuteronomy, if you don't take them out, they're going to be a... Uh, a splinter in your side, a thorn in your side. He had a reason for that, for you to obey. And they started making adjustments. In their own mind, they're thinking, okay, well, wait a minute, we're going to be merciful. Or we, well, we won't destroy them. Well, we'll just let them be slaves. Let them work for us. We can make some extra money. He said, no, they're going to be a thorn in your side. They're going to bring their gods. You're going to start worshiping them. You need to destroy them. Verse 29, nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them, with them. They're living right there with them. And what does that mean when they're living right there with them? Their kids are growing up together, going to the same schools, getting married, having kids. Oh, we worship like this. Oh, but we worship like this. Oh, we go to this church. Oh, we go to that one. It's like, no, don't do that. Verse 30. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalalol. Oh, wait, how do you say that? Nahalol. Okay. So the Canaanites dwelt among them. Again, dwelt among them and were put under tribute. Or we're going to use them and abuse them. But we were merciful. We didn't kill them. Again, disobedience. 
You know, you want to say, oh, but you know what? They're, they're being merciful. No, it was disobedience, compromise. Really, it's, it's failure. That's why some scholars say that this is the book of failures. And it starts right away, the first chapter, the first verse. Verse 31. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Echo, or the inhabitants of Sidon, or of Achlab, Achzib, Helbah, Ephik, or Rehob. All those guys. Verse 32. So the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the children of Asher, the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, for they did not drive them out. So they didn't drive them out either. Verse 33. Nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. But they dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were put under tribute to them. All right, well, we won't destroy you. We'll just own you. Verse 34. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains. So the Amorites were pretty strong and they forced the children of Dan. For they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Herez, in Aijalon, and in Sha'albim. Yet, when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put under tribute. They should have been killed. They weren't killed. They just enslaved them. See, once again, once they, the enemy was determined, they kind of backed off. Well, this battle seems a little bit too hard for me. Maybe let's go to plan B. If God has a plan for you, it probably isn't a plan B. Plan B is your own plan. And more and more um, of the Canaanites and these other people are allowed to survive, allowed to live within the children of Israel and the tribes of Israel, allowed to worship their gods. They were worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth. They're sacrificing children on their altars and their idols. Why would the children of Israel be intermingling with these people? God said, get rid of them. You need to, you know, judgment was upon these people. God said, I delivered them to your hand. That means judgment has fallen on them. In God's eyes, you're done. And here comes the children of Israel and they're going to destroy you. And then they came and they said, no, no, we won't. We'll let you live. Consequences. Consequences. Now, the last verse in 36. Now the boundary of the Amorites was from the ascent of Akrabim from Selah and upward. 
and they believe that a scent of Akrabim was coming from the Dead Sea in the valley and that mountainous climb coming up, that they, they held all that land. And had they destroyed them, they wouldn't have it at all. And that would have taken care of that. So we see here, just in chapter 1, and it kind of sets the mood for the rest of this book and the rest of the judges that we're going to see. We, we're not introduced here to the first one just yet. And chapter 2, we, we see a little bit of a summary of what's going on and uh, begins the 300 years or so, maybe more. I'm, it's hard to calculate of the time that they're spent fighting these people because of the compromise. You see later on uh, Eli, the priest, uh, compromising with his sons, allowing them to do things in the temple. And it's not until Samuel comes along at the end of Judges, the last judge, and then God calls him as prophet to begin to pull Israel out of this mess. And Samuel's the one who calls and anoints David. He anoints Saul. So they, he starts pulling the people out of this and establishing a king. So really good stuff here in Judges. Just amazing stuff. And it really points to, it points to all of us. Consequences for us in our, in our walk with the Lord. You know what uh, compromises you may have in your life. You know, the things that we do when we're all alone. And only God sees us. He, but rest assured, he, uh, he sees us. And so we need to walk strong in obedience without the compromise. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray, guys. <clears throat> Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for this first chapter in Judges. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, Lord, about our own walks. Not to compromise. Not to allow permissiveness in our walk to permit certain things to occur because of our own desires. And so, Lord, we do pray, Father, that you would make us strong and that we would not be intimidated by the weapons of the enemy because the enemy um, every day wants to take us down and they want to show us that we're just that we're not able to fight but we know that we have you on our side if God is on our side who can be against us and so we thank you Lord for the promises we thank you Lord for the strength and Lord I pray for each one of these men here tonight Lord you know them well. You know each and every aspect of their lives. And so I pray, Lord, for them, the strength, Lord, that they need to survive tomorrow, the next day, and the next as they walk closer and closer to you, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for this time to meet. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.